0: So we're reading from Genesis 4 again, the story of the first murder ever to uh, blight the the face of the earth, the murder of Abel by his brother Cain. Sin is crouching at your door, the Lord warns Cain. Uh, Even today in uh, the tabloid press where sensation fatigue has long uh, settled in, the, the headline murder after church service would still be quite uh, a shocking headline. Uh, and this is essentially what we have here. Uh, this is a murder after a worship service, uh, an escalation into the most horrendous uh, taking of life. Uh, it's gone through all stages, hypocrisy, jealousy, rage, violence. All of these things are elements of the tragedy that unfolds in Genesis 4. And it's is here as a shocking example of the way that that sin runs so deeply in our personalities. Uh, We saw that after Adam fell, he was no longer uh, marked by a, a desire continually to please God, but instead a new impulse comes into his life, a sinful impulse, and we share in that sinful nature. We are sharers both in Adam's guilt and in his sinful nature. I remember we spoke about the, the classroom science experiment where you took the little crystal of, of potassium permanganate and you dropped it into the, the water, the, the test tube of water and this little crystal uh, soon spreads the purple colour to the whole. And We have that crystal in our lives, in our hearts and it spreads its stain to every part of our lives. There's no part of of my my life, my personality, but hasn't been tainted in some way by that germ of sin. It's pervasive, it's radical. And if it is left unchecked, then the Lord is warning us from uh, his word tonight that it's ready to crouch and have mastery over us. We see in this story the outworking of the 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 promise uh, as well as the warning of two lines developing. Uh, when God addressed Eve in the aftermath of the fall uh, and said that uh, her seed, she would that the Lord would put enmity, sorry, the Lord is addressing the serpent, and the Lord says to the serpent that he will put enmity between the seed of the serpent and the seed of the woman, and that the seed of the woman will bruise the serpent's head. He will uh, strike the heel of the seed of the woman, but the seed of the woman will bruise the serpent's head. So there is this uh, division. Uh, It's a division which will go down through the generations. Uh, There will be a line which will be godly, and there will be a line which will be of the evil one, which will oppose the godly line. And ultimately, there will be a seed singular, the saviour, who will deal that mortal blow to the seed of the serpent. On the cross, when Christ uh, triumphs through his death and resurrection. But there is also the, the human uh, line of the, the woman and of the serpent, and we see here uh, the very tragic confrontation between Cain, uh, the first of the line of the seed of the serpent, and Abel, of the line of the woman. It's a sad, sad story. There is such an early promise, so much. Hope uh, that comes with the birth of Cain and then Abel. Cain is the first baby the world has seen. Eve is jubilant as she gazes upon her firstborn. There's an early encouragement in that she acknowledges the hand of God in granting her this new life. Uh, With the help of the Lord, I have brought forth a man. What a great way to begin a family! to acknowledge that God is in the family that he has uh, blessed the family with life to acknowledge him at the very outset, to seek his face in the family it's a wonderful start more than that Eve seems to be gripped by the possibility that this might be the one this might be the seed Cain uh, is literally acquired Uh, we could put it uh, in, in common parlance, uh, gotten. It's as though she thinks, this is the one that I have acquired. I have got the seed. He's come. The promise has come. And when Abel is born, his name is much less promising. It's literally vapor or vanity, as in Ecclesiastes. Vanity, vanity. All is vanity, says the Lord. It's anticipating the fact that Abel will have a short existence on the earth, but it's also possibly reflecting the fact that with Cain being the seed, anyone born into the family after that is really not much to be considered. Uh, That certainly is Matthew Henry's thought. Matthew Henry, the the old uh, commentator, he writes, when she thought that she had obtained the promised seed in Cain... She was so taken up with that possession that another son was as vanity to her. Cain becomes an agriculturalist in the sense of being a tiller of the soil, a producer of crops. Uh, Abel is uh, involved in in the raising of animals. Uh, Interestingly, at this point, uh, he would have been raising uh, sheep and cattle and goats and so on for their milk and for their wool and for their hides because People uh, were vegetarians, were told, until the fall, until the, the the flood. Years have passed, perhaps many years have passed. There's a hint later on in the passage that the Earth's population has increased, and so other sons and daughters have been born, marriages and births have probably occurred before the events uh, that unfold in the chapter, and then one day. The event takes place that shakes the world's first family. And we learn that, first of all, our approach to God must be by the way that God has appointed. That's the first lesson we're going to take from from this story. Our approach to God must be by the way that he has appointed. Uh, Secondly, we learn of the horrible power of sin that must be resisted. Thirdly, we see the consequences when it is unchecked. And fourthly, there is a promise of a deliverer from it. First then, we're taught here that we must approach God in the way that he has appointed. One day Cain and Abel went to offer sacrifices or offerings to God and they took something that was representative of their work. Cain took crops from his harvest, and Abel took lambs from his flock. Now, at one level, that's a good thing. Uh, later in the Old Testament, we see that uh, there are offerings which are offered to God, and they are representative of the, the, the bigger uh, Possession. So we're offering something representing the offering of the whole, first fruit. And that's good. And there's also the idea that our calling is to be devoted to the Lord. And so Cain brings something from his own calling, brings crops. He's a raiser of crops. And Abel brings something from his own calling. He brings animals. Whatever we do, we're to devote to the Lord. So that if you're a shop assistant, you're to offer your uh, work as a shop assistant to the Lord. Uh, If you're an artist, you offer your art to the world, and so on. Romans 12, 1, Therefore, brothers, in view of God's mercies, I urge you to offer your bodies as living sacrifices to the Lord, which is your reasonable service. However, there's something in Cain's offering of crops that God did not find acceptable. The Lord looked with favor on Abel and his offering, but on Cain and his offering, God did not look with favor. So what's going on? Why is the one acceptable to God and the other not? Some people have thought that it was because Cain just offered any old thing and Abel offered the best that he had and there's a little indication there Uh, we're told that Cain gave some of the fruits of the soil as an offering to the Lord we're not told of the the quality of this offering but we are told that Abel uh, gave the fat portions and it's always a bit funny when when the Old Testament speaks of fat being the, the best thing and uh, the psalmist loving fat, we tend to think fat's the thing that you trim off your meat and it's bad for you and so on. But not so. In the Old Testament, the fat's the best part. So the, the fat offering's the best offerings and of the firstborn of his flock. So it's the very best that he can give. So there's that aspect. But I think the reason that Abel's offering seemed to be accepted was, was because he gave the kind of sacrifice that God had laid down for sin. We saw the last time when we were looking at Genesis that when God clothed Adam and Eve it was a clothing that came about by the shedding of blood animals were slain in Eden for the first time their skins were taken and they clothed Adam and Eve and the uniform testimony throughout the Old Testament is that without the shedding of blood there is no remission of sins and it seems almost absolutely certain that God would have communicated first to Adam and Eve and then uh, through them to their children the necessity of the taking of a life to spare the life of the offer, Substitutionally atonement. That was, that was what lay behind the idea of a blood sacrifice The blood represented a life, forfeit, a life that had been uh, forfeited. It was taken, the death, the price. And so Cain offers something which didn't comply with God's instructions. Uh, There's something in, in Cain's determination to offer his own crops which reflects our own sinful pride. We want to come to God on our own terms. You know, uh, it's it's a kind of thinking that says, I'm actually, I'm I'm a pretty good kind of person. God is bound to accept me because I am sincere. I am come to church. I do my best. I'm the kind of person that God will accept And so we're saying, we're implying that God will accept us on our own terms. And friends, the the first great lesson that we take from this is that if we're to come to God, we must come to God on his terms. And if God says that it is by the shedding of blood that our sin is atoned, then we must trust in the one whose blood was shed because there is no other way to come into the presence of a holy God. We must come on his terms uh, or not at all. Imagine uh, you were really keen to go to a a, a pantomime uh, this Christmas. Maybe you are. And you turned up without a ticket and asked at the desk for entrance. And quite rightly, the person at the booth says, uh, please show me your ticket before you get through here. And you say to them, "Um, I don't have any silly ticket, uh, but I'm a very... Keen follower of pantomime. I've never missed a winter pantomime. My whole family's been keen on pantomime. We've supported pantomime. We give regularly to the local pantomime. And he'll sit patiently and hear you out and say, I'm sorry, I don't care how keen you are on pantomime or all anything other than having a ticket. If you haven't got a ticket, then I'm afraid you don't get through. And so you go away and... You go to a friend who's an artist, and you ask the friend to to make up a ticket for you. You have him draw a ticket with a picture of Aladdin on it, and he writes in neat letters, Pantomime Ticket. You go back, you present the ticket, you say. You asked for a ticket, and I've brought a ticket. And again, the person looks at this ticket. And says, I don't care how, how pretty or how much better you think this ticket is. It's not the ticket that we issue. And unless we have the proper recognised ticket, then I'm afraid you're not going to get in to see the pantomime. The only way to gain entrance to that show is to have a ticket that is recognised by the authority, the, the one that has been issued by the authority, and nothing else will do. It's got nothing to do with your character. It's got nothing to do with your dedication as a fan. It's got nothing to do with the effort or the expense that you go to in order to produce your own version of the ticket. It's got everything to do with the management having the right to say how it is you're entitled to enter the building. And God has the right to say that unless we trust in the atoning blood his son Jesus Christ we have no right to enter heaven the ticket is to believe in his son the ticket is to turn away from your own righteousness to count it as filthy rags to trust in Christ's redeeming blood and everything else comes from foolish pride and Cain's attempt to come to God on his own terms arose from foolish pride. But secondly, how do we come from offering the wrong sacrifice to murder? Well, the Lord warns Cain that there is a restless ferocious impulse in sin that makes it like a wild animal. I think we're we're picturing a lion, aren't we, when the Lord says that sin is crouching at the door. Ready to devour, ready to leap and to devour. When Cain's sacrifice is rejected by God, he becomes both angry and depressed. So Cain was very angry and his face was downcast. Now, it's the wrong reaction, wasn't it? It was the wrong reaction. He should have repented of his pride and submitted to God's judgment and come in faith instead of self-righteousness. But he doesn't do that. He doesn't repent. He doesn't acknowledge uh, his wrong. He is resentful of the fact that God has said his sacrifice isn't the right kind. Matters escalate. Uh, Fast forward to the New Testament. Jesus has warned us that there is a a line that connects seed sin, thought sin, with the most blatant and violent expressions of sin. Uh, For example, he says, you have heard that it was said to the people long ago, you shall not murder And anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you that anyone who is angry with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment. See, Jesus is saying the the anger, the the attitude, the violent attitude is, is very, very serious. It's of the same quality as the anger which is expressed in the act of violence. And the Lord intervenes at this point and gives Cain a wonderful opportunity to admit his wrong and to to repent. Why are you angry? Why is your face downcast? If you do what's right, will you not be accepted? Now, there's there's a whole heap in here. We don't have time to explore it fully, but Uh, simply notices that if if you're rebelling against God, it's not surprising if you're also struggling emotionally. And so if you're angry or if you are uh, downhearted, then hear God asking you, asking you this evening, why are you angry? Why is your face downcast? the fact is that for many emotional problems, the answer isn't to take more pills, but the answer is to repent and obey. Do what God says. Follow him. If there's a spiritual issue lying behind our emotional condition, then do well and you will feel well, is what God is saying in this instance. Cain's not willing to listen. He's not willing to obey, and there's a great danger awaiting him. God goes on to say, but if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you, but you must rule over it. It's very interesting that uh, this is the the warning that is given to the woman uh, after the fall, that Her desire will be for her husband, but he will rule over you. There's there's going to be a gender wars. We have it here now in the context of of sin, desiring to have mastery over Cain. Cain's told that sin is a brute energy. It's not to be underestimated. It's to be reckoned with. he must resist it because if he doesn't resist it, if he doesn't say no to it, it will surely master him. It will overwhelm him. He'll find himself no match for it. Uh, the, the godly pastor in St. Peter's Dundee in the 19th century, Robert Murray McShane, once famously said that within his heart was the seed of every known sin. And when, when you read uh, you know, Shane, McShane's writings, and you reflect on that. You wonder how, how could how could a man, a saintly man like that, how could that be true of him? And it reflects McChain's self-awareness that he could say that because it's true of every one of us. Within our hearts, the seed of every known sin, waiting just to germinate and to grow, to become a monster within our lives. And so for the Christian there's radical action we, we must resist it and of course Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount uh, gave instructions to his disciples if your right hand offends you cut it off. If your right eye offends you, pluck it out. It's better Jesus says to enter heaven than with all of your members to enter into hell. Now of course We know he's not advocating uh, mutilating the body but he is saying that if there are areas of your life which lead you into sin then simply do away with them. If you have a drink problem then it's crazy to go to the pub with your friends. It's a madman that does that. If you're a single young person then a camping holiday with your girlfriend is not a very good idea. If you struggle with pornography then... The thing that you must ensure is that when you look at your computer, you're doing it in a public place where you're accountable to people. Resist sin and it won't get you. Thirdly, the consequences of not resisting sin are horrendous. Cain refuses to listen to God's warning. Uh, He leaves church, as it were, and he goes on a Sunday afternoon stroll with his brother. And maybe they had an argument first and simmering anger spills over into murder, and it's appalling. But what's equally appalling is his reaction to the crime. God comes seeking and confronting him, as he had done in Eden. The all-knowing God asks the question, where is your brother? Again, it's not to solicit information, but it's to give the opportunity of confession And Cain's response is terrible. Am I my brother's keeper? Can imagine how appalling a response that was to God? It's the same idea that people have today when they reject the idea that they have a duty to care for anyone other than themselves when Jesus told the parable of the Good Samaritan, he was telling us that we do have a responsibility to be our brother's keeper. That Our neighbor is whoever God places across our path. And sin includes our failure to care for that person and to do well to others as well as sin is the doing and thinking of evil. God knows and God condemns Cain. Cain is to be banished. The ground in which he has depended for his livelihood will no longer powerfully produce crops for him. He will become a wandering nomad. And Cain complains, my punishment is more than I can bear. Uh, Again, there's a progression in Cain's sin. Uh, He rejects God's way of coming Uh, he rejects the way of approach to God by blood sacrifice he refuses to resist the reign of sin in his life anger moves on to murder he refuses to repent to acknowledge his sin and then finally he resents the punishment which God uh, sentences him to Uh, he's the epitome of someone who is progressively hardened in sin he ends up not even being able to recognise sin in his life and complain. He's complaining that God has dealt him a bad hand. Now, God would rightly have condemned Cain to have been to to instant death. But instead, he is merciful. He is merciful. He delays the judgment of death, which is deserved. Uh, He puts a mark on Cain, the, the mark We suddenly speak of the mark of Cain. There was this uh, mark, whatever it was, that uh, gave the the seal of God's protection on Cain. Of course, it was also a reminder of his sin, but it protected him from being slain by others. Cain uh, would be spared. Cain would live more years on the face of the earth. But if Cain never repented, then Cain will one day stand in judgment. He will stand before the judgment throne of Christ, and he will face condemnation, because the scriptures tell us it is appointed to all men once to die, and then the judgment. Now, this is a, this is a very solemn, it's a very uh, dark passage, isn't it? Uh, But we ask the question, where is the hope in this? Where is the hope in this? Because we've seen, uh, even in the judgments that were pronounced in Eden, there there was hope shining through. We ask the question, where is the hope that we see here in in this dreadful uh, atrocity, this fratricide? Well, Hebrews 11, verse 4, the chapter which is the roll call of faith, tells us, by faith, Abel still speaks though he is dead. Abel still speaks though he is dead. He speaks to us of the need to trust in God's way rather than our own way. And he points towards the cross of Calvary as our way of being right with God. Hebrews 12, 23. You have come to God. The Judge of all, to the spirits of the righteous made perfect, to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. That's a beautiful word, isn't it? The blood that speaks. When, when Cain slew his brother, the Lord said that the blood was speaking. It was crying out from the ground that had opened out its mouth to receive it. Cain's, Abel's blood is crying out. What's it crying out for? Crying out for vengeance, isn't it? A proper vengeance. A life will be required of him who sheds the blood of another. The law will state later. So the blood of Abel is crying out for vengeance. But the writer to the Hebrews is telling us that the blood of Jesus speaks of better things. It's speaking of atonement. Speaking of forgiveness at the price of Christ. It speaks of better things. The blood of Jesus cleanses us. Sin. The blood of Jesus makes us right with God. When we respond to the message of the cross and believe that when Jesus died on the cross, he died for for my sin. Then the blood of Jesus cleanses us from all sin. And it's when we when we've come to the point where we've experienced for ourselves what it is to be cleansed by the blood of Jesus, it's then that we come as true worshippers because we're coming in the way prescribed by God we're accepted through the one sacrifice to offer now adoration that is acceptable to God now, the, the mark of Cain uh, reminded me of, of a story I th- we've shared it before uh, of someone who had a different kind of mark placed on him the story goes about to men who were imprisoned once for stealing sheep. And because the times were strict, they were uh, not fine, but they, they had been put in prison. And one of the men was visited by a Christian during his time in prison who shared the gospel with him. And the man trusted Christ and he repented of his sins. And he received Jesus as his Savior and his Lord. When they came to the end of their jail sentence, both men were branded with a letter S so that people would always know that they had served time in prison and that it had been for sheep stealing. One man decided that he would move away from uh, the people he knew, from the district district in which he had been brought up. But the other one, the one who had become a Christian when he was in prison, decided that he would go back to his own community and, and he would serve his community as a, as a new follower of Christ. And so he became his brother's keeper. He became his sister's keeper. Everywhere there was a need in his village, this man was to be found. Whether it was a, a widow whose roof needed to be repaired, he would be on the ladder repairing the roof. Where there was a death in the village, he would be the first to go and visit and bring comfort to the home where there had been the bereavement. And one day, in advanced age, the man is walking past two wee boys who are playing together. And one of them says to the other, what does the S on that man's face stand for? And the other said, I don't know. But from what my mother says, I think it stands for saint. Saint. The sinner had become a saint because of the blood of Christ. The Lord warns Cain, sin is crouching at your door. Sin is crouching at your door. Sin is crouching at my door. Sin is crouching at your door, but it need not master you. None of us will ever stop being sinners. Sinners saved by grace, but still sinners. We still have to contend with sin by trusting in the blood that speaks of better things than the blood of Abel, then we're made acceptable before God and we can be made fit to serve him in a broken world. Amen. May God bless to us uh, his, his word.